You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. The place that we come to here in, the, in this epistle, um, the gospel according to Paul, which is what the book of Romans is, it's the gospel according to St. Paul. And uh, where we are here, uh, Paul has been uh, summarizing the case against the human race. In chapter 1, he's been dealing with the heathen, uh, how God's wrath is revealed against mankind. In chapter 2, against the hypocrite uh, and also against the Hebrew. And each, in turn, has been accused and found guilty. And now humanity at large is summoned to the bar of God to hear his indictment against mankind. And, and so this evening, uh, we want to look, if, if I was looking for a title for this sermon, it would be The Universality of Human Sin. The Universality of Human Sin. That, that sin is universal right across the world and right across the generations. Notice the constant repetition of the words no one and not even one in the section that we read together. Now, we read that section from verse 9 through to 26. We're we're really going to be dealing with primarily verses 10 to 12 this evening. But but do you see uh, on from that, the number of times it refers to no one, not even one. Not a single member of God's, of Adam's ruined race is accepted here. The indictment is sweeping. It is comprehensive. It is all-inclusive. Paul begins by reviewing both the racial and the religious aspects of human sin. First of all, the racial aspect in verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We being the Jews, are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. In Paul's day, there were only two types of people in the world. The Jews and those who weren't Jews. The Jews and the Gentiles. Gentiles were anyone who wasn't a Jew. So all men are on the same footing before God when it comes to this matter of sin. Jew and Gentile. We could make that broader, you know, Oriental or Occidental. Red, yellow, black, white, Protestant, Catholic. There is no difference. All men are sinners in the sight of God. Indeed, verse 23 makes that plain, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. All without exception. The racial aspect. And then the religious aspect. Verses 10 to 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so there, there follows a step-by-step enumeration of the, of the items in the indictment. That is, we are all indicted under a number of counts, each one being a quote here from the Old Testament. Paul here in his indictment is quoting 
the Old Testament, as we'll see. And, and Paul shows that in their relationship to God, there's a number of things that follow. And we're going to look at four. And the first is this, that men are unrighteous. Men are unrighteous. And he supports the charge by quoting Psalm 14 and verse 3 in these words, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's, that's a word written by the psalmist. There is no one righteous, not even one. Man is incapable by nature of doing that which is right in the sight of God. Now think about that. Think about that. Man is incapable by nature of doing that which is right in the sight of God. One of the most graphic illustrations of this comes from the days of the judges. Days which were black with apostasy and glaring immorality. And yet twice in the book of Judges, in Judges 17 and verse 6 and Judges 21 and verse 25, we read these words. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, did you get that? It said every man did that which was right that which was right, not that which was wrong. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and in doing what they believed to be right in their own eyes, it produced one of the darkest eras of Israel's history. By every man doing what he thought was right, it produced one of the blackest times in the history of Israel. Isn't it interesting how even the worst of men have to attempt to justify their actions as being right. Did you ever notice that? Do you remember? Do you remember the time there were the discussions? I've maybe used this illustration before. Discussions around the peace agreement, you know, and and uh, everybody was bringing up the past. Everybody was raking up the past on both sides, but but uh, towards the Republican side, uh, it was. They were being reminded of what the IRA and all its forms had carried out, the atrocities that they had carried out. And I remember Jerry Adams uh, complaining that, that people were demonizing the IRA. They were demonizing them. You know, uh, as if, look, we were doing right. We were defending our people against an army of occupation. That's the way they looked at it. They were trying to justify what they were doing by saying that it was right. Isn't that an interesting thing? That even in, in, in people carrying out the most horrendous crimes, they're defending it by being right. And, and the same could be said on the loyalist side, exactly the same. Some of the worst atrocities have been, have been uh, committed by the loyalist side. And, and they would say they're doing it to defend their birthright and so on. By doing right in their own eyes, they actually do something that is awful. Many people think their behavior is right. They see it maybe that, that it is right according to human standards. But of course, God doesn't try men by human standards. He tries them by his own standard. And what is his own standard? It's perfection. It's 100% perfection. 
You know, some of the children will have had their results. Was it yesterday? And I don't know, did they still even give a mark or is it just, I don't know whether it's so long since my children are going through that, thankfully. But I know one thing, never in my life at school did I get anywhere near 100%. For me, 40% was Mount Everest. And if I got beyond 40%, I reckoned I'd done too much. I'd wasted. But, but God's standard is 100%. And so many people, when they're challenged about sin in their lives, and I've said this before, they'll often say, well, I know, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as, and point the finger to someone else. Comparing ourselves all the time to other people. Wrong standard. Christ is the standard. Christ is the standard. How do we measure up? How do you measure up? How do I measure up? It's no wonder God says there's no one righteous, not even one. Men are unrighteous. Second thing Paul says here is that men are unreasonable. At the beginning there of, of verse 11, he says there's no one who understands. And, and he brings this out in several places. In writing to the Corinthians, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And the same truth appears in Colossians, where Paul declares that men in their natural uh, state are alienated from God and enemies in their mind. Colossians 1 and verse 21. So men are unreasonable. There's no one who understands. Now we live in an age of scientific enlightenment, you know, where there is the most advanced technology. Some of the most amazing things that people are able to do today and we have every evidence that man has a brilliant intellect. And yet at the same time, that intellect is strangely crowded, or clouded, I should say, to spiritual realities. In spite of his cleverness, in spite of his intelligence, there are some things he isn't, he isn't able to see. He's absolutely dense when it comes to the things of God by nature. He has no natural understanding in this realm at all. His mind, incisive and clear in so many ways, is warped and twisted when it comes to eternal and spiritual issues. And don't we see this in recent days in, in the most amazing uh, somersaults that that people are taking. Isn't it strange that a society where, you know, we go by whatever science says. This is, this is our standard. Whatever science says, that will dictate. And yet, and yet we have people who are arguing about gender fluidity. You know, that, that because a man says that from now on he wants to be known as a woman, therefore you can't say he's not. You know, we forget the science. If he says he's a woman, he's a woman. Or a cat, for that matter. But it's, and you think, is this for real? Are, are people making this up? Are they, are, they, are they having a laugh? But it's real. It's, 
you can't just take it in that, that people who are so clever are so stupid when it comes to the things of God. On the things that matter most, men by nature are blind, the Bible says. Even worse than that, they're dead. And, and yet, you know, the things that a person will believe in the name of religion are astonishing. You know, someone will say it doesn't really matter what you believe. As long as you're sincere. As long as you're sincere. Well, that's a philosophy that wouldn't be tolerated for a moment by a professor of mathematics. You know, wouldn't it have been great if when I was doing my maths paper, I put this down and say, look, I sincerely believe this is the answer. <laughs> Tough. You're wrong. Another will say, look, you know, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm, I'm going to, from here on in, I'm, I'm going to live right, forgetting that God requires that which is past. Even if it were possible to turn over a new leaf so you didn't do anything wrong from this moment on, God requires that which is past. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 15. Or if we were business, in business would we accept such a philosophy from one of our debtors, would we? Imagine the reaction on opening, you know, uh, a letter some morning and someone owes us 5,000 pounds and they write, dear sir, I realize that I owe you 5,000 pounds, but today I've turned over a new leaf in my ledger and I intend from now on to pay my debts and live up to the highest standards of business integrity any obligations incurred from now on will be met in full. I am ignoring the past sincerely. And yet so many use the same approach in matters of the soul. Paul says there's no one who understands. Man is unreasonable in his attitude to God. He doesn't understand how abhorrent his sin is to God. He has no understanding of the holiness of God, that God hates sin. He has no comprehension of the holiness of God or the concepts of heaven or hell. No understanding of what it costs God to provide salvation, the salvation that he ignores. If men understood these things, they would be in a hurry to get saved, wouldn't they? And isn't this exactly what happens when a man's eyes at last are opened by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit? I don't know about you, but you know, I was brought up in a home where I was taught the things of God. I was, I was raised under the preaching of a faithful minister. I knew right from wrong. I knew I always needed to be saved. And yet, it didn't make the slightest difference to me. I just carried on with my life uh, as, if, as if I'd never heard the gospel until until God the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. 
and convicted me of my sin. And then I saw my need. And then I closed in with, with God's offer of mercy. Men are unrighteous, Paul says. Men are unreasonable, Paul says. And thirdly, he says men are unresponsive. You see there in 11, again, the, the second part of verse 11, no one who seeks God. There's no one who seeks God. How, how can this be true? How can Paul write there, there's no one who seeks God? When the world is full of temples and worshippers of every kind under the sun? Well, the Bible gives the answer. The things the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. Paul has already shown in chapter 1 of this epistle that the Gentile world has deliberately turned its back upon the truth of God and has indulged in idolatry. In chapter 1, he says men have suppressed the truth and they have made idols and, and they have worshipped the creation rather than the one who has created the creation. They have deliberately done that. And behind the world's false beliefs is the God of this world. Again, Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. The devil. Behind all that, unbelief and false belief is the evil one. We have the Lord's own word for it, that religion apart from regeneration is vain. In John six forty four, he says this, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Unless the Father draw him. People can go from one religion to another, but apart from the drawing and convicting power of the Holy Spirit, they end up in just another spiritual cul-de-sac. Another brand of delusion. God says, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13. And you see, that's something that cannot be done without the work of the Holy Spirit and the soul. But praise God, he has taken the initiative. God has taken the initiative. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God did it. God took the initiative. It wasn't that, that people were crying to God, Lord, we're in a desperate state here. Come and save us. No. God took the initiative. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God did it. It's significant that the Bible likens men to sheep, animals that don't have a lot of sense. Man is so unresponsive to God that all the initiative in salvation is in God's side. God has done it all. And how much men and women he has done. Think about it. He has given us his son, the darling of heaven. He has given us his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What more could he do for us? He has given us of his best. How's he described? Well, he's described as God's indescribable gift. 
It's beyond words. Giving him to death, that meant. Giving him knowing he'd be handed over to cruel men to meet a violent end. He has given us the scriptures. And, and think of how these scriptures have been handed down to us, not just from generation to generation, from century to from millennia to millennia. And God has given us his word, and he's given us his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And most men still will not respond. It can truly be said of the natural man, there is no one who seeks God. Men are unrighteous. Men are unreasonable. Men are unresponsive. And lastly, men are unrepentant. Look at verse 12. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. Not even one. And, and you see, these words rip apart all man's imagined goodness. The frequently used assertion, I'm doing the best I can, is simply not true. Even if someone says that with absolute sincerity, I'm doing the best I can, that's not true. No man has ever done his best. There has never been a time when a good deed might not have been improved with a little more effort or a little more concern. God's assessment of man is that his life is worthless. His good deeds do not outweigh his bad deeds. His religious assets are all consumed by the guilt of sin. The apostle Paul himself once boasted in his gains, you remember, until God showed him how utterly worthless all the things in which he was trusting were. And then he was glad to cast them aside. Do you remember how he wrote about it to the Philippians? In Philippians 3, this is a passage I've quoted to you before. Paul writes, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. What was Paul saying there? I stroked all the T's, dotted all the I's of my religion. I was as religious as you could be, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. My, my history was impeccable. But, there's another but. Do you remember this morning? That but cancels everything that has gone before. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that from, comes from God and 
says, by faith. He says, see all that religiosity of mine? Garbage. Garbage. Compared to what Christ has given me. Remember throughout this indictment concerning man's righteousness and man's unreasonableness and man's unresponsiveness and his refusal to repent. Remember, the entire human race stands accused. Every single human being is included in the universality of sin. And everyone includes you and it includes me. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, if you look at if you look at verse twenty one, another of these buts. Do you see it? But now but now he's been giving us the bad news here from verse nine. It's all bad news. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So he's saying here, there's a righteousness from God made known which the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, points to, testifies of. This righteousness from God comes, how does it come? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. A righteousness from God comes to all who through faith in Jesus Christ believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. How could God, a righteous God, forgive guilty sinners and still be just? Well, because he's given them a righteousness from Christ. He's clothed them in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, their sin is covered by the perfect righteousness of Christ. And guilty sinners like us can go free because Christ has paid the penalty. He's our substitute. He's taken our place. And, and that's, that is just amazing. Uh, to me, I, I never cease to be amazed about that. You see, no one unaided by the Spirit of God has any righteousness by which they can lay claim upon God. No one has any true understanding of God. No one seeks God. But what we do not have and cannot do and have not done, God has done for those who are being saved. Isn't that wonderful? God has done it. What exactly has God done for the believer? First, God has sought us. We had run from him, you know, a bit like Jonah of old. We, we ran away from him. But God has pursued us relentlessly. Some of us ran from God for a long time. If God had not pursued us, we would never have come. We would have been lost eternally. 
we would never come to God ourselves. So that's the first thing. God has sought us. Secondly, God has given us understanding. And he has done this by making us alive in Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sins in which we used to live. But he has made us alive. And as a result of that, our eyes have been opened. And we see things as they really are. It doesn't mean that we comprehend everything about God and his ways. But we now truly understand. And thirdly, God has given us a righteousness that we didn't have in ourselves. In fact, that we never could have had. His righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ, is the ground of our salvation. And the result, verse 12, no longer applies. Our lives are valuable, useful, and we do those good works that were prepared in advance for us to do. And God has done it all. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter what they've done. It's available to all who believe. Let's pray. Thank you.